This is the Black and Blue Report, straight from the source. No appointment radio, wherever, whenever. Now, from Studio B, or from wherever the Saints or Pelicans might be, here's Sean Kelly. Hello, everyone. Happy Friday, and welcome into the Black and Blue Report. I'm Caroline Gonzalez. And I'm Cindy Robinson. And this is the Friday edition of the Black and Blue Report. Exciting day for us, Cindy. We have just finished the first round of the NFL draft. Yeah, going into second day. It only goes up from here. I know. Made some big trades, or big trade in the first round to get the number 14th pick, Marcus Davenport. And I hear you caught up with his High school coach? College coach. College coach. Yep. We, we have an exciting show for everyone today. As everyone knows, the Pelicans are heading to the Golden State Warriors to take on um, them in, the, in round two of the playoffs. And um, we'll also sit down with Rachel Nichols and da- Daniel Salerson. And then we will sit down with UTSA coach Frank Wilson, who coached the number 14 draft pick for the New Orleans Saints, Marcus Davenport. Cindy, are you excited? I'm very excited. So big weekend for both teams Mm. and it's going to be fun to see who else is going to join the Saints and then see what the Pelicans do in Golden State. Yep. Saturday will be an exciting day, but first we'll go to Daniel Salerson who sat down with Rachel Nichols to discuss round two of the playoffs. We are joined now by Rachel Nichols, host of ESPN's The Jump, which you can catch weekdays at 2 p.m. Central, of course, on ESPN. She's been on before. And Rachel, I'm going to start the interview with how you start your show and say, what's up? (laughs) How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Before we get into the rest of the NBA playoffs, I wanted to start with the Pelicans. It was a week ago that you posted on your Twitter account and it was on your show, The Jump. Um, Of course, you can follow her at Rachel underscore Nichols. There was a segment from your show about hopping on the Pelicans bandwagon, which I loved personally. A little biased here, but I did love it. Um, One, are you still on the bandwagon? And two, what did you make of their impressive sweep over the Trailblazers? Well, I got to clarify two things. So we have uh, just it's because you're giving out my Twitter handle. I'll tell you, I've got two underscores in there. Okay. Um, and we're making the point we were not hopping on the Pelicans bandwagon because we've been, we've been on the on the team, especially uh, through that amazing run you guys had in the last couple months of the season. Um, but that a lot of people are going to want to hop on the Pelicans bandwagon. Fair I hope you guys have been getting that because there has been uh, so much fun interest in that team. Um, you know, I don't think anybody, even if people thought the Pelicans would win the series against the Blazers, I'm not sure, even if you give a lie detector test to the coaches in the locker room, they'd say, oh, we would do it in a sweep the way that they did it. And I think that turned a lot of heads around the NBA, and it should give those guys so much confidence going into the next round, which, of course, you will need against the defending champion Golden State Warriors. Yes, absolutely. We'll get to that in a second. But I know I think you also touched on um, during that segment about the play of Drew Holiday, and he was spectacular Mm -hmm. in the first round against the Blazers. Is the world finally getting to see the Drew Holiday that at least what I've seen and Pelicans fans have seen this entire year? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm not sure we can call him underrated anymore, right? Everyone is saying, like, oh, he's so underrated. But I think people are getting it. Like, I think people are accurately talking about how good he is. Um, you know, just defensively, just a monster and dogged and coming after stuff. Um, and then offensively, too, um, I think the way playing with Rondo has really facilitated his game and, and, and let him sort of free to do other things in a way that's really great to see. And, and just, you know, the whole team, it's so interesting. Boogie goes down and everybody around the NBA was like, oh, that's too bad. Sort of kind of like, oh, well, it's over now. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not going to make the playoffs again, that sort of thing. And from the top of the organization going out and getting Miritich and seeing 
willing, frankly, to spend a first-round draft pick. And, yes, I know I got another contract off the books, but still. Um, there's really no one else in the NBA at the trade deadline that was going around waving around first-round picks. And to be able to go out and do that and have the confidence and say, okay, we want to bring someone in here and make still make a run this year. To, of course, Alvin Gentry, making sure he filled in the right things and changing strategy from having two, you know, all-stars like Boogie and AD to sort of, okay, now i got to move things around and change the way we play. To, of course, Anthony Davis, who put this team on his back. I mean, <laughs> I, I can't remember sort of a three-week stretch that anyone else has had quite like the one that he did at that point. And, um, you know, so you see it through so many, so many guys on the team. And you can go through Drew. You can go through so many other guys. You know, playoff Rondo is a real thing, and the fact that he has time to really study an opponent and be so smart the way he is about what the other team is doing. Um, I think not only certainly came into play during the Trailblazer series, but again, is going to come into play as we go through this next series as well. well. Let's talk about this next series with the Golden State Warriors. And I think everyone's trying to figure out when will Steph Curry play, if he'll play, um, minute restriction, all that stuff. Um, putting that aside, because I know that will be a huge factor, and I don't like asking you about predictions. I don't think that's really fair. But I want to talk about what intrigues you the most about this matchup with Golden State. Well, I mean, certainly seeing if AD can do what he did against Portland against Golden State. Golden State is such a good defensive team. They certainly understand the way that the Pelicans have been trying to sort of spring AD free, um, you know, even just tossing lobs into the low post and, and just getting him the ball in certain places that allowed him to create space. Um, I think they're going to try to take a lot of that away from him. I think they're going to try to harass him. Um, and I think how he reacts to that is going to be interesting. You know, this is not his first rodeo. Um, he's already had his first year in the playoffs. That's over and done with. He's already had now the first series that he's won and, and, and all of that stuff. So I think he is ready to sort of face what is going to be a very difficult challenge and sort of the way they're going to defend and try to limit him. Let's go to some of the other series going on right now, and we're taping this before this series might be done by then, which is the Jazz and the Oklahoma City Thunder. And you also mentioned on your show that maybe we shouldn't be as surprised with how this series is going based on, yes, seeding-wise, Utah would provide the upset, but are you surprised with how they're playing? Because they seem to play like this ever since they got Rudy Gobert back uh, midway through the year. Yeah, by the time everyone's listening to this in their car, you, you know more than I do. Right. So uh, congratulations to future future listeners because <laughs> we're here in the past. So not, not knowing how that series played out. But I will say that as you and I record this and the Jazz are up um, on the Thunder 3-1 to one in that series, you know, it's interesting. These teams have identical records in the regular season. The only reason that the Thunder were the higher seed was sort of a chain of tiebreakers that happened in the last end of the season. So that's one thing to remember. The other thing to remember about the Jazz is they have the player that seems to be the front runner for Defensive Player of the Year. A lot of people have kind of revealed their votes, and Rudy Gobert seems to have gotten the majority of the votes that have been revealed so far for Defensive Player of the Year. They have a guy who certainly is in a lot of people's top three, so a lead candidate for Coach of the Year, and Quinn Snyder. Um, and they have a guy who has been part of the hotly debated Rookie of the Year contest, where even if he doesn't win Rookie of the Year, he's going to go down as one of the most exciting rookies in maybe a 10-year stretch in the NBA. So they have a team with some really strong quote star players they're just not necessarily magazine cover kind of star players right and certainly the thunder lead the series in magazine covers mm -hmm. but that is not how you win an nba playoff series so I, I do think these teams were more evenly matched than people might have realized going in and, and the thunder you know man they just had a hard time gelling through this whole season and i give them credit because I think sometimes when you throw a bunch of stars together, we do see some infighting, and there was speculation of how is Russ going to deal with other players and everything. 
those three guys, you saw them trying. You saw them trying to bond. You saw them trying to have each other's back. You saw them on the court trying to defer to each other, maybe too much sometimes. Um, but if, if this ends up not working for OKC, it, it won't be because of, like we said about the Lakers team maybe like 10 years ago, about, oh, they were selfish and they were fighting and they were doing whatever. It was, it's not going to have been like that. Um, but they, they just couldn't hit their stride. And when they finally did hit their stride, the sort of a great month, I think it was around January, um, then Andre Robertson got hurt. And I think a lot of people underestimated how key he was to them defensively. I know his offensive numbers are not good, but he allowed so many other guys on that team to do other things defensively. Paul George was in the defensive player of the year conversation when Andre Robertson was there because Andre was doing a lot of sort of the grit work and allowed Paul to take these one-on-one matchups with Kevin Durant or LeBron James and, and completely shut them down at different points of games. Once Andre's gone and Paul is now responsible for more of what's going on in that court, he completely fell out of that conversation and they went on a bunch of losing, you know, losing streaks. And I think even in this playoff series, you have seen what has been missing without him on the court. I will be interested to see, which again, this happens between when we're recording and the future people are listening, mm-hmm. um, what happens in that game, in that game uh, five. Yeah, so should, we'll have to see. one of the more interesting series, that's for sure. And uh, not surprising that Utah's played the way they are. Um, but to flip that a little bit, are you kind of surprised on how this has gone for the Thunder? Um, just based on when you have the magazine stars like Westbrook and Anthony and George that you may have thought they may be able to go farther than potentially a first round or they may have had a better record. Are you surprised by that at all? I mean, look, these guys are still, when I say oh, they lead in magazine coverage, that's not to undercut like what good Gascot players they are. I mean, Russ right. is the reigning MVP. I think Paul George is one of the best two-way players in the league. I think we have seen Melo's game has dropped off maybe more than even anticipated. Um, I joked the other day that the Thunder need to break out the emergency hoodie because, <laughs> you know, they need some of that Olympic medal hoodie, hoodie Melo back. Yep. Um, it, it's tough, man. I mean, it doesn't always work. And again, you know, we talk about these star teams or, or teams where they've gathered big three or whatever. That's all true. But every single one of those teams that succeeded has also had a complement of really good, strong role players. And OKC hasn't been able to get its big three to play the way it needs to together while also um, having those role players all be there or be healthy. And, um, you know, we'll have to see again if they can kind of try to turn things around. If anyone knows what, that you can lose a 3-1 lead, it's yep. the Thunder who lost the 3-1 lead to the Warriors who then lost their own 3-1 lead to the Cavs. I mean, you know, it, it happens. So it, let's just see what happens. It certainly does. Um, I want to focus now on the Eastern Conference. And no matter when we tape this, I think you, uh, you would agree with me that I, I can't figure out who's the who's going to lead the East or who might go to the East and represent yeah. the East in the NBA Finals. <laughs> um, have you been able to figure out who might be that? Because, I mean, I see no, I mean, senses with Philly. No, I mean, individual series, right. it's hard to tell sort of who has control of an individual series. I mean, Philadelphia is the first East team to wrap up a series, and boy, do they look impressive, right? I yeah. mean, the talent level of Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons is just off the charts. J.J. Redick is doing everything they brought him in to do, whether it's you know on the court and the way he can fill the, fill the bucket and just fill the stat sheet versus also off the court, just kind of providing that veteran leadership to these guys. I think Brett Brown, as a coach, hasn't been given enough credit for sort of, you know, we always talk with the process or, or tanking, that the danger of that, right, is that the young players you bring in while you're tanking kind of absorb losing. And they just absorb that losing culture, and everyone sits around and frets and says, oh, are they going to know how to win when the time comes? And Brett Brown should get some credit as well, in addition to the guys on the court, for giving a winning culture even when they weren't winning and giving them the building blocks they would need. But it does, in the end, come down to the guys on the court. I never want to short trip the players when talking about coaches. And, and Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, 
and, and Markel Fultz, who we didn't expect to even see this postseason, has popped in with some fun things. Um, I just think I, I think they are going to be tough uh, for anyone else in the East who wants to challenge. But you do have the Raptors who think it's their turn. And you do always have LeBron James, so we'll have to see what happens. Yeah, I'm curious to see how the East turns out, that's for sure. And I want to focus in on Philly a little bit because he did talk about the process that they've been through over these handful of years. And I don't want to be a Debbie Downer. Maybe I'm playing devil's advocate, or maybe I'm not fair with asking this question, but is this also bad for the league that this might show that tanking can pay off for teams that are willing to go three or four seasons with losing games? Is that even a fair way to look at it? Or, or what, oh, yeah, what are your thoughts I think on that? Completely. I think that's 100% fair. Um, there's no question that that's a fair question. Um, you know, here's the thing. They've changed the rules for not this draft, but the next draft. So they've flattened out the odds for the top three teams. So it will no longer be as valuable for teams. I'm sorry, you can hear some yelling in the background. That's Marcellus Wiley here at ESPN. <laughs> no problem. Screaming. Um, um, that uh, it's no longer to be valuable for teams to, quote, chase the number one tanking seed, right? So mm-hmm. the Phoenix Suns, who finished with the worst record in the NBA this year, it won't, they, their odds, whoever finishes one, two, and three at the bottom of the standings will have flat odds. So it might be the third team who gets that number one lottery pick. But the, all that does, a lot of people feel, is it moves the bar, right? So instead of trying to tank for one, now you're trying to tank for three or trying to tank for four. Um, and I do think people, I mean, look, it, it was a four-year painful process for the process, mm-hmm. but it got them to generational players. And the whole gimmick of the process is that, yes, when you draft high in the draft, you try to hit, but you could miss, right? I mean, no one's perfect. Scouting is an imperfect process. So the idea is lose enough for a long enough time and make the kind of trades that will get you high draft picks that you have a whole handful of top five draft picks. And then if you only hit on half of them, it doesn't matter, right? Again, you end up with two generational players. So, yes, the Sixers did all of this. Yes, they had some busts or guys that didn't work out with them or aren't with their organization anymore. But that was all worked into the plan. The plan was, hey, we'll do the best we can. We hope we hit on all of them. We probably won't, but we'll have enough chances, enough times at bat that we'll hit on enough that we will be set for the next decade. And, boy, it kind of looks like it. And I can't imagine other teams aren't looking at that and trying to figure out a way within the new tanking rules that they can do it. Right. And and a fair point to defend them, too. They've also added really good veteran pieces like Redick and Marco Bellinelli and Ursula Soviet. So those have been huge for them, and it's shown the playoffs. So I don't want to take certain credit for it's just these process guys that are doing really well. It's other guys, and they put together a good team there. So it'll be curious to see how the process pays off in the playoffs and I'm just excited for this next round. And is there, I know again, we don't have second round finalized and we might not when this airs on Friday. Um, but is there a potential matchup or something you want to keep your eye on, on for the second round? Maybe whether it's even warriors Pelicans or, or something, whether it's, Cavs. I was going to say your series, I think is yeah. going to be one of the most interesting series. Um, you know, there's no question. I would be interested if it ends up being uh, Jazz Rackets. I think that style, stylistically could, you know, give us a good matchup. Um, and then in the East, if it ends up being um, Cavaliers and Raptors, I think you're going to see a dogfight there. And it's going to be a real question whether LeBron James can get this conference finals that he's pretty much owned for most of the last yeah. decade. Um, so that's going to be interesting, too. But the Cavs got to get there. I, I absolutely believe the Pacers are an incredibly tough team. And, you know, it wouldn't shock me to see them win that series either. So, um, you know, you, you go with LeBron James until he doesn't do it, right? You don't you don't leave LeBron James stock early. But um, that being said, I, I think the Pacers certainly have, are in this series for a reason. It doesn't shock me 
that, uh, you know, they won two of the first four games. Next week or so should be a lot of fun. The whole playoff should be fun, but I'm glad, Rachel, you were able to come on and talk to us about it. Of course, you can watch ESPN's The Jump weekdays at 2 p.m. Central. It's a must-watch for any fan of any sport, but the NBA in particular. It's such, she does such a good job with all the guests that she has on with her. Rachel, I appreciate the time as always. Hopefully, maybe see you in Golden State or here in New Orleans, and we look forward to talking to you soon. Absolutely. All you get, anyone who watches our show, and thank you for that plug, I appreciate it, mm-hmm. um, knows that I shout out New Orleans you know, at least once a month. It is my favorite city in the country. So I hope to be back in, in your neck of the woods. Please, the Pelicans, keep winning so I can come and uh, hang out there a little bit more. That'll be the goal. I appreciate it, Rachel. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. That was Daniel Salerson with Rachel Nichols. When we come back, we'll hear from UTSA coach Frank Wilson, who coached the New Orleans Saints number 14 pick, Marcus Davenport. In 1907, Dixie Beer was a balanced, refreshing lager, brewed with love and top quality ingredients. It would grow to become something that connected us, the neighborhood beer of every New Orleans neighborhood. And now, Dixie is back to that 1907 recipe original and reinvented just like its hometown visit dixiebeer.com to learn more and always drink dixie responsibly dixie brewing company new orleans louisiana boom now uber takes you couch to courtside at the tap of a button heading to a pelicans game uber helps you pass on the parking and focus on the fun And if you're still an Uber rookie, you can get $20 off your first ride with code PELICANS18. Uber, a proud partner of your New Orleans Pelicans. Welcome back to the Black and Blue Report. We welcome in Coach Frank Wilson from UTSA to the Black and Blue Report today. He is a New Orleans legend, and he is the head coach for the football team at UTSA, which happens to be where Marcus Davenport, the New Orleans Saints, number 14 pick of the first round in yesterday's draft. Coach Wilson, how are you feeling today? I'm excited, uh, jubilant, uh, really just thrilled for Marcus Davenport and his family. Uh, Excited for the University of Texas San Antonio uh, to be in the position of coming full circle uh, from a program uh, that was just started eight years ago to a first-round draft pick and two back-to-back bowl qualifying years and well on our way. So things are good here in San Antonio. Now you mentioned the bowl. You were the first coach to lead that team to the to a bowl game. Is that correct? That is correct. Well, congratulations on that. Now, you're no, um, you're no stranger to coaching professional athletes. You coached former Saints player Keenan Lewis, um, as well as Mike, Lo- Mike Wallace and Kendrick Lewis. Is that correct? That is correct. Small well, boys. Well, can you tell me a little bit about the feeling that came over you yesterday when you heard Marcus's name announced? Um, I think relieved for, he- for him and his family. Uh, it's just so gratifying when you see hard work uh, being rewarded. And, and that's who Marcus Davenport is. He's a young man that has a tremendous outlook on life that worked diligently to position himself uh, to be at this point, to be a first-round draft pick. And we set a goal two years ago, and he went out and attained it uh, on the football field by doing the things that we set forward to him. So it was just uh, gratifying to see he and his family embracing that moment 
Now, you talked about um, Marcus's intangibles. Now, he started out at receiver and then went to linebacker. Is that correct? And then eventually ended up a defensive end? That is correct. He was a high school wide receiver. When he got to UTSA, he was 190, 185 pounds. Uh, then migrated to outside backer where he played in space and then bumped down uh, most recently to defensive end. So when you look at his evolution of um, mentally and physically, he's a guy that, that's hitting stride right on time, that in a college career put on 60-plus pounds. Wow. Position him where he is now. Wow, that's incredible. So what do you, you said he's in stride. What do you think he's going to bring to the New Orleans Saints now he, that he's at that incredible stride? I think he's, he, he'll bring tenacity. He'll bring athleticism. He'll bring toughness. I think uh, he's the perfect fit for the Saints. I think the Saints are a perfect fit for him. I think the job that Sean Payton has done is second to none. Uh, you look at Ryan Nielsen, who's a good friend of mine as well, the defensive line coach for the New Orleans Saints. Uh, we started our college careers together back in 2004 at Ole Miss. Uh, there, uh, I, I think Ryan Nielsen is off the chart phenomenal in the job that he's done there in conjunction with, with Coach Payton. And so I think Marcus' development will continue to ascend because of the coaching that he'll receive. Now you mentioned, I, I know you're familiar with the New Orleans Saints and their defense. How do you think he's going he's gonna to fit in and what do you think he's going to bring to that defense, whether it's his hard work or you know things like that? Obviously, he's going to be a bookend with Cameron Jordan. What are some of the things that you think he's going to bring to this defensive line? You know, the good thing is when you look at Cam Jordan and those guys on the defense, they're a very veteran, mature group uh, that – continue to strive and, uh, and and make tremendous uh, progress. And so I think he'll add to, he'll add value to it, being able to compliment him, that you won't be able to just chip away at, at Cam and turn the protection to him, that you'll have to be equally concerned about both guys off the edges then allowing those guys to have one-on-one. And I think anytime you get Cam Jordan in a one-on-one, or Marcus Davenport in, in, in a one-on-one, you advantage your football team. I think he'll give them the balance uh, because there'll be a presence, and you better block him uh, <laughs> because he's going to be disruptive. Can you tell me a little bit about Marcus as a person? We got to see a little bit about his personality last night, but can you tell us a little bit about who he is as a person? Yes, yeah, smart, analytical, tough, uh, tenacious, uh, goal-driven. Uh, wants to accomplish things in his life uh, and, and knows that I don't have all the answers up front. But if you give me directions, I will achieve them. He's a very goal-oriented young man who is very receptive uh, to coaching. Uh, he doesn't think I have it all figured out. Uh, in, in today's time where so many young men his age think they got all the answers. Right. And so he's a coach's dream in that sense because – uh, he's like a sponge. He wants to know more. He wants to master this and then the next level of it. And, of course, the National Football League being the epitome, uh, I think he's prime when I say hit stride to go to that next stage in his life with development. Well, Coach, he was lucky to be under a coach like you from the New Orleans area. Have you had a lot of feedback from people you know in the area uh, congratulating you? Yeah, you're one of uh, 14 more calls I have to make once I hang up with you. <laughs> We're the best one, right? 
There you go. You are correct. So you were first. I called you first. Well, thank you so much. We appreciate you spending time with us this morning. Congratulations again, Coach. And we look forward to seeing you at a game this year. Thank you so much. Birds up. Go run it. Go sing. Who that? Who that, baby? <laughs> Thanks for listening to this edition of the Black and Blue Report. If all goes well, we'll be back next week. Tune in each weekday at 12 p.m. or at your convenience exclusively online at NewOrleansSaints.com and Pelicans.com. Follow your teams direct from the source. The Black and Blue Report.